We are outdoor ladies who hunt, fish, camp, and more, all while working in conservation. I am Julia Plugi with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Wagner with the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. And we want to see you outdoors. Welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. Tana, Rachel, and myself, Julia, just got back from South Dakota. Uh, we were physically in the same room, physically at the same conference, having an amazing time, catching up on life, catching up on all of our amazing ideas and our accomplishments over the years. So uh, this episode, we're going to just spend time reflecting on our experience, what happened, where we were at. I think on top of that, we got to see a lot of the guests that we have had on our show. And I also believe that we went home with even a longer list of future guests. So where were we at? And let's just go and have fun in this conversation. Yeah, it is so much fun to be able to get together in person. Like I always overestimate how just excited I'm going to be to see or underestimate, excuse me, how excited I'm going to be to see you guys. And when we get together, it's just such a relief. Um, but yeah, we were out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota for the Midwest Fish and Wildlife Conference, or um, it's also the Midwest Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies meeting. So that's what that MAFWA acronym stands for. And you know, to have those regional opportunities to connect is so fun out in Sioux Falls. Um, other than a, a little bit of a 4 a.m. adventure, having to evacuate the hotel for a for a fire hazard, we're all okay. Everything is fine. Um, it was really smooth and a really, really good conference. So I had a great time. It was good to see you all. We got to see presentations from even, like Julia said, some of the guests that we've had on the podcast, like the wonderful and talented Amy Bowsman, just to name one. Um, so yeah, it was just so good to connect. Rachel, what was your kind of take home? I will say I was very nervous about going to Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the end of January, not knowing if we were going to be battling weather conditions, snow, et cetera. And we lucked out with weather. It was really pretty pleasant the whole time we were there and traveling was good. But Rachel, what are your thoughts? Kind of summed it up so well. It's such a, a refresher. You know, we kind of all well, we do. We all live in our own states. We all have day-to-day -day functions and needs um, specific to our agency. And then to be able to get together and to really talk and discuss and see what's on the landscape, you know, things that are working in parts of our, our conference that might work in other parts, just, it's just refreshing. And for our listeners that, you know, are in different fields. I'm sure they go to conferences, they get all inspired and they're ready to leave there refreshed, recharged, and maybe needing a nap or two, but like ready to hit the ground running. And, and that was my experience. Um, we just had some really great topics of discussion, some amazing partners in the room and just the brain trust that, that we are so lucky to be a part of and, and really all for a common good. We want to see more anglers, more trappers, more hunters, more shooting sports participants, more outdoor recreationists on the landscape. And what can we do as state agencies, state partners, non-governmental organizations? What can we do in collaboration to make it happen? Um, and the, the conference was just a really great experience where we can kind of noodle on different ideas and see what's working and and maybe also commiserate on things that aren't working and come up with 
new takes to fix those problems. So, um, Tana, Julia, I, I left refreshed. I left renewed and I left excited to do good things. Noodling. I love that concept. Like we would just, we would gather in this group, this room and the, the brains in there. And like you said, that brain power, we, we all felt like exhausted at the end, but it was a good exhaustion because we were just like helping each other think how we can continue to improve this field. And like, you know, sometimes when you have that, that brain rush, like it hurts just because it's been a struggle. This, this was a good feeling. Like we were just, we're accomplishing so much and we want to continue to expand those efforts. And I think the people of the, the people of the people of the R3 world were in that room doing so. Mm, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's so fascinating the things that come up too. And you have to remember listeners and it's, it's probably hard to wrap your head around from the outside, but for many of us that are in these roles, doing R3 work, doing uh, hunting, fishing, shooting outreach, a lot of us are the only ones in our state dedicated specifically to R3 or recruitment, retention, and reactivation. So the power of collaboration and being able to get together and share our barriers, share our ideas and solutions in that regional space, um, you know, you just can't place a dollar value on that. It's so important not only to actually get our work done, but also to feel supported in our roles and to, you know, understand that the same issues that we're facing are being faced in other states and that we've got a network of support behind us that wants to help us overcome it. So that always leaves me feeling refreshed if I go into those meetings overwhelmed with you know, things that I can't seem to wrap my brain around in my own state. It's always nice to bounce it off of other folks and that they can either commiserate or maybe even propose solutions as well. Yeah. We are very supported in our states here in Kansas and Iowa and Nebraska that both, you know, all the way up to our administration, they're very supportive of R3 and it makes our efforts uh, even more comforting, our efforts more successful because we do have the success at that level. So when we go to these meetings, we're helping these other states that may need words of wisdom, uh, the confidence to continue to power through and figure out how they too can make our three work in, in their state. So Julia, I'm curious, you know, we saw a lot of good presentations and had some really in-depth discussions um, what kind of stood out to you as like key themes from our meeting? There was definitely a lot of discussion on retention. And I bring that up because that's that's been a national effort come about a year now, if not more. We did a lot of research. There's been a lot of studies on this, our pathway. and But we have these programs that end at a certain point but we're not seeing them follow through. We're not seeing these participants that go through our programs continue on their own to go hunting or shooting or even fishing. A lot of discussion on brainstorming. What can we do? How can we help each other out? States were uh, providing examples of efforts uh, that they're presenting in their state. And so then we'd have that discussion like, what are you doing to make this work? We would bring that back to our states and say, okay, can we do that? What do we need to do? Uh, it's, it's been a lot of discussion here in Nebraska. I believe the same probably for you, Tana. Mm-hmm. That, that breakdown, those conversations were with the entire 
conference, whether you were in the fisheries division, the wildlife division, you were in administration, or our three, we, we were sitting in that room, whatever you do within our agency. It's so neat, too, because it is more than just like state agency R3 practitioners in the room. It's also our researchers in the room. It's our NGO or non-government organization partners as well that are all working together in that R3 space. So um, industry as well, even sometimes it's just really neat to see all of those groups coming together and rallying behind that cause. And then also leveraging kind of the structure that they have, the support that they have uh, to all make sure that we're rowing in the same direction. And one of the things about this conference that really stood out to me was the emphasis on building relationships with non-traditional audiences and that, you know, it isn't just necessarily putting something out there or one of the, uh, there's a really great Ted talk about this. It's to make people feel welcome. It's not always about just opening the door wider. Sometimes we have to open a separate door. And in this Ted talk that I was referencing, we, there was an analogy used of like, okay, if you're walking down the street, um, let's say with your daughter in her you know, tutu after ballet practice and there's a hardcore heavy metal rock band and, uh, you know, a bar with the doors wide open. It doesn't matter how wide they open those doors. You might get the impression that you're not welcome there, that that place isn't meant for you and your daughter or your son or whoever it is. And so, you know, sometimes in the R3 space, we just keep trying to open the doors wider and say, no, no, these resources are available for everyone. These opportunities are available for everyone when really there are still barriers, real or perceived, you know, technical or social barriers that prevent people from picking up these activities. So and um, we had some really, really great conversations and presentations about ways to open new doors and build trusting relationships so that people understand they are welcome to come into these places and into these spaces that have felt like they could come into. You're, they're not seeing themselves in that picture. Like if, if you open a magazine or you see a magazine, you don't see yourself on the front page of that magazine. Uh, like Sports Illustrated. If there's this like really masculine athlete that's on the front page of it, it's not going to be something that I'm going to open because I, that's not being interested in that content. The same can go for the R3 world. I was really impressed with, I believe it was Minnesota, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but Minnesota has put out, uh, they, they are printing their hunting and fishing regulations in four different languages. You know, they connected with the different audiences within their, uh, their state, recognize those audiences are there, know from their culture that they do rely on uh, hunting and gathering to feed their families. And so they went to those communities to connect with them and now creating those, the regulations in their language. So they understood it because they didn't, they had not been hunting or fishing because they were afraid of caught being in trouble and send back to their lands where uh, life just is not as, as good here as it is here in the United States. Rachel, what main topic, conversation, or overall like agenda item did you really take home from the conference? You know, Tana focused on like the different or different audiences. You know, we were trying to build relationships with the different audiences. My take home was a lot of conversations on retention. What was your main take home from the conference? Yeah, you do certainly hit on two of the, the big ones, if you will. I always think about kind of on that retention, but the reactivation too. So for listeners that aren't maybe as in tune to the three R's, if you will, um, we have a lot of hunters that have hunted, a lot of anglers who have angled, angled? 
No, they fished, right? So, <laughs> you know, maybe when they were six, seven, eight, twelve, they learned how to fish, but they haven't been fishing since. So, how do we get them back in the fold? And a lot of our community spends a lot of time on getting new folks in, which is awesome, right? We have to open that door so someone can self-select whether or not it's something that they want to go down. The whole time I was there, I was thinking of ways that we could get folks that have tried it and have enjoyed it back in the fold. That, that's kind of where my headspace went. And, and a lot of times we spend time on programs, but are there other things we can do? Julie, you kind of hit on Minnesota and some other states that are translating regulations. So not only word for word translating, but also, you know, dialect and accounting for slang and just other things, you know, you can't go car, coche. There we go. We have the translation. There's all the meaning behind um, that really has to come across, especially when you're talking about a legal document that um, is, is being used in, in that form. So, you know, I, I think about regulation simplification, you know, um, I know very easily I can look at a, a, a chart and figure out what license I do or don't need, you know, are those things that we could do? And some of those are legislatively controlled. So they're a little bit out of our hands, but how can we work with our past or non-current um participants to get them back in and, and what are what are things that we could do as an agency so that's that's where my headspace was a good portion of the conference but it is it's always enlightening to see what states are doing and and I think it's also enlightening to see you know a great presentation and then someone just saying like yeah that's not going to happen where I live or what about these other thousand roadblocks that we've come across that that we're struggling with like how did they overcome that so sometimes it's like this is an amazing thing but I want more right I want to like dive down into I guess the presentation is just like the icing on the cake it, you want to dive down into the the base layer of that cake to figure out what blocks they you know were done prior so that they could get to that point absolutely I uh, great analogy, great connection to that, because what we learn, even the, our three different states have different icings. We have different blocks in that cake, and, and it, it takes different efforts. It, it takes different um, procedures of getting things done. And sure, we may not necessarily be able to accomplish something that another state is, is doing, but we figure it out, and we figure out a way that, that, that will work for our states. But I do have to touch base on like a light moment. So Tana, um, when, when she introduced herself and where we were at, made comment about this 4 a.m. fire alarm. We're going to make this a fun, lighthearted conversation now. But <laughs> I'm going to take you all back to the first evening we were there. Sound asleep, getting our beauty rest for the next day. Lots of, because we needed that brain power. And it, all of a sudden, we're woken up to this alarming, obnoxious sound. And it took me a while. I'm like, I think that's the fire alarm. That is the fire alarm. Should I get up? Like, you're having those moments there where like, oh, does this take me back to my college dorm days? Somebody unresponsible has pulled it. But then as it kept going on and on, and I started hearing, like, doors opening and people hearing people go outside and walking, I'm like, oh, this is not one of those, like, dorm moments we legitly have to go outside 
Tana and Rachel were the same, where we just slowly put our clothes on. Like every firefighter right now and everything we learned in grade school are like is just going down the drain. We just take our time. And I was on the first level, so I'm thinking, you know, if the fires are gonna hit my door, I could just jump out the window anyways. Meet all outside, right? And and people are outside, and then here comes the fire truck. So I'm like, holy baloney, like this is real. There's a real fire. And Rachel, like you seen it. You seen the fire. And so then we were outside. We were wearing our pajamas. Some people were out there in no shoes, just shorts, in coldness. There was a moment like we all usually see each other during the day. We're we're bonding over work work information. And then now we're um, we're getting to see each other in our pajamas and our glasses and I don't know. We were out there for an hour. Come to find out there was a fire on second floor. Wasn't quite sure if it was a trash can fire or uh, a microwave fire. We were happy to come back in into the warm environment, crawl back into our beds for about an hour and hope that the fire was out. Uh, Because otherwise (laughs) it was it was a short night. It was a lot of stories to tell the next day. God bless our firefighters. Yeah. So I have to say I was I was in about the same headspace as you. But so I had left my phone charger in the car. And so I was like, oh, I'll just use my other phone as my alarm. And I'd never used this alarm before. So I was a little nervous because they knew it. There was a hard start in the morning. I had to get up. It's like one of those days you don't want to sleep in. Right. So here I am the obnoxious alarms are going off and I instantly grab the phone. I'm like, what did I set? Like, how is it this loud? And then about 10 seconds later, I realize there's flashing lights. There's strobe lights going on. There's a loud voice saying, please exit the building. And then I realized oh, this is not my alarm. So then in that, like, kind of like sleep stupor. I'm like, okay, I'm in like my jammy shorts, like throw on my shoes, go outside. But as soon as I opened the door, I saw smoke. Like there is smoke billowing down the hall. So I know, unlike you, Julia, I know it's, there's like legit something happening. Something is on fire. And then that like stop, drop and roll. I'm like, do I need to roll out of this building? No, I think, I think I probably just walk out of this building. Okay, let's get outside. And I had the foresight at least to put like a couple layers and a coat on, but I am one of the, I was like the basketball guys. They're standing in shorts, like do, 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 waiting, waiting. And luckily we had keys in a vehicle. So we jumped in a vehicle and stayed warm there, but I just, Yeah, I was so sure that I had set the wrong alarm and like somehow put it on like stereo warning, you know, and then suddenly my phone came out out with like strobe lights, too. It was the weirdest thing. But I am I'm so thankful to the Sioux Falls Fire Department. They were able to contain it, put it out. And, you know, we were able to go back that evening. It did smell a little bit like sleeping in a fireplace for a couple of days, but you know, kudos to the hotel and the maintenance staff for taking care of it and, and life moves on. But yeah, it was, it was quite an experience that morning. There's always that one story that allows you to always remember that particular event. And that certainly was the case. Tana, you were right outside of the fire as well. 
Yeah, it was like right next to my room. Um, so I was with Rachel. I did the same thing. I stuck my head out the door to kind of assess the situation. It's like, ah, dang it. This is real. This isn't just some idiot that pulled the fire alarm. <laughs> but uh, I will say, you know, it was kind of funny. And this is just this is purely speculation. But I was impressed with our our outdoors women who, you know, came prepared, grabbed their shoes, grabbed their layers, knew what was going on versus those basketball guys that were out there. Some of them were barefoot in shorts. And, you know, I want to attribute that to our to our outdoorsy skills and all that, knowing that we needed to be prepared for anything. So I say go. She goes outdoors team. Go all those lady uh, lady conservationists out there and everything. That was kind of fun to see. But yeah. And I, I was laughing too, because I grew up with a weather obsessed dad in the Midwest. So like we had a plan for tornadoes, for fires, for everything. We always had a go bag as far as like what, you know, keep everything that you would need to grab, like your keys, phone, wallet, all in the same area so that you can just run out the door with it. So it was, it was kind of funny just to see the different ways that people reacted. And we're so blessed. Like I'm sure you both have said that it's, it wasn't a bigger deal than it was you know, we we're very lucky. And like you both said, the firefighters and hotel staff were wonderful and handled it so well, but yeesh, made yeah. for an early morning the next day. It did. And come to find out, like I was looking around, like uh, there was four of us that came from Nebraska. There's only two of us outside. <gasps> I forgot about this. <laughs> and, and I'm like, where, where's the other two? Like, so I didn't have my phone. I, I didn't bring it outside with me. I, I put clothes on, but did, yeah, that was it. Right. And and then like there's still there's nobody like are they legitly just ignoring this is the, the fire trucks are here they're ignoring this how can they sleep through this come to find out the next morning they didn't have a clue that it happened like no clue so but then i'm being harassed by not calling and waking them up i'm like okay wait 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 time out time out you didn't hear this loud obnoxious fire alarm but you your phone? um they claim they claim that the fire alarms did not go off on their floors in their room. Now, um, we were in a, like a, a separate section, and I was on the first floor, heard it from first floor, but they supposedly did not recognize this happen. I'm like, huh. I was like, did, did you tell the hotel that? Because I think there might be a fault in the system here. <laughs> My favorite part of that story, though, is that Julia did like before she put her phone down and didn't run out with it. She did like the most millennial thing possible and that she like sent one of these guys that slept through this fire alarm. She just sent them a Snapchat with like three fire emojis no, no, on no, it. And that's how she back. told them about the fire. That's when we got back. We got back. No, nope, okay. it wasn't before. It was just it was, no context. Just like fire emojis. No, no. <laughs> The fire emojis were when we got back. And I'm like, are they going to respond to this? I still see ah, Nope. Like, the, the next morning, they're like, what's these fire emojis for? I'm like, uh, uh, smell. Do you, do you smell fire at all? It's those things that, that um, definitely add to the conferences and the collaboration. And the, it's just the friendships that, that are made and, and the stories that, that we will tell. One of the other things I was really impressed by at the Midwest Fish and Wildlife Conference was just the the quality of students that were in in our presence and just the brains that they have and and the very technical and very well thought out kind of scientific background that they're taking on not only some real 
scientific and animal-based science, but also within the human, the human dimension side of science. So um, kind of in our field, there's a little bit of a split between like a true biologist that's worrying about the land and the plants and animals and all that. And then there's the other side of the science that is a little bit more people's interactions with all of those things. And I was I was really impressed as part of the conference. There's an opportunity for different students to put up uh, posters of research that they're working on. And and just the quality that's coming out is really exciting. It's it's amazing to see what's coming up in the next generation across all of our fields, our states in general. You know, there's lots of turnover coming up here in Iowa. In the next five years, we'll have a crazy percentage, something like 30 percent of staff turnover. Um, and then you look to 15 years and it's more like 70 percent. So there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of possibilities within within our fields of natural resources in general. And so it's exciting to see what's coming and, and the, the opportunity. So if we have any listeners on here that are in college, recent grads looking to get into the workforce and are thinking that, you know, natural resource at the state level is is their calling. Hold on to your hat. There is going to be opportunity. You know, you name the state, you name the place, you name the thing you want to study and work on. There's going to be opportunity. That's such a good point, Rachel. And I think what we're seeing is this like really huge emphasis on the fourth R. You know, we talk about R3, recruitment, retention, reactivation all the time. But all of that and all of what we do in state fish and wildlife agencies is also nestled under this larger our umbrella, and that's relevancy. The work that we do has to be relevant to our general public, and we have to understand those interactions. You know, for a long time, there was a misconception that state fish and wildlife agencies just work with the resource, just work with our natural resources, work with managing habitat, managing populations. And we do those things, but we cannot do those things in a vacuum. So much of what we do comes back to and then how what does the human element look like? Add in that human element. How are humans interacting with this? Um, What does our use of this resource look like? How can we manage that relationship? How can we better understand that relationship? You know, to your point, Rachel, like I think that relevancy message just continues to expand and expand and broaden. And people are really bringing that into their research of not only this is what the biology says, this is what we're learning, but then this is the human element. And I know that's always been a factor, but it's really been highlighted in recent years. So it's, that's really neat to see. It makes you wonder, you know, it's easy to look back and say, this is what we've always done, but this conference kind of spurred the, where are we going? What are we going to do? Like, what's that next research project? And and to your point, Dana, it's, it's awesome to see, you know, here's the hard science. This is what statistics are telling us this is what ratios are telling us here are like these hard data points but here's what people are telling us here's their input their thoughts their actions you know we can measure all of those things also a lot of the research i saw was putting them in parallel to show this is what hard like the animals and and these hard sciences are telling us but this is perception and this is opinion and people's attitudes and and how do they morph together those are kind of my takeaways that that we have some amazing people coming into this field what they're working on and what they're pushing and what they're thinking about is going to help make our whole world our whole field better and it's exciting to see i really like too the growing emphasis on shooting sports 
Um, we all know that shooting sports are important because anyone that purchases a firearm, purchases ammunition, those funds are then, um, they have an excise tax on them that goes into the PR fund or the Pittman-Robertson fund. And then those are allocated back to state agencies. With shooting sports growing in popularity, be it for recreation, be it for self-defense, whatever it is that is driving people to make these purchases. It's a, it is becoming a more diverse activity, which is really cool to see because we want that diversity and we want to also be able to connect with those diverse audiences. But just the popularity of it in general is really interesting. And more and more, we've always said that hunters and anglers really fund conservation in the United States. But it's those recreational shooters, actually, that are footing a large percentage of the bill. So I'm so excited to see that being emphasized and um, seeing research out there, like what was presented by Southwick and Associates, that emphasizes that impact and says, okay, so if we know that our um, shooting enthusiasts are out there, they have this need, they want to see more shooting ranges, more opportunities to shoot, they're already paying into this system, um, how can we support them? So that was really neat to see. So for example, where we need more shooting ranges or what type of ranges we need to see more of on the landscape, how we can connect shooting ranges with other educational opportunities to make sure that audiences feel welcome to come and visit a shooting range. Really, really fascinating. And I'm excited to see where we go with that because it's been something, at least in Kansas, I don't I don't know that we've historically focused on is that shooting range component. It's been a lot of hunting and fishing. So it's cool to see. And I'll give a kudos to Kansas. I mean, you guys are leading some of that research. You're the drivers in that. And to see it presented at a national conference or a region wide conference is pretty cool. And the the work that they're doing is is crazy awesome like just different layers of data and how you can visually interpret it right you don't need you don't need a 30 page document explaining what you should be interpreting you can visually look at it and really assess yourself and say yeah it's clear these are the areas of need here are areas of population and there's overlap there, right? It reaffirms the fact that, you know, we have lots of folks living in very metropolis areas and maybe the access to those ranges, the wild spaces, whatever that need is on a very visual map shows that very clearly. And and it's cool to see. We've certainly talked about it here in Iowa. I think the statistic is something like 70% of Pittman-Robinson funds are funded through recreational shooting. Like that's a staggering statistic. Mm -hmm. And then we look internally, you know, our 70% of funds going back out to those entities to, to support those users. And there's a great debate there, right? And, and so it'll be interesting what happens in the next five years with those numbers, you know, what do users want? Back to, back to the people, right? What do users want? Where do they want it? How do they want to interact with it? You know, all of those questions are being asked. And yeah, it's great work being done. And I look forward to seeing how the landscape changes. A lot of those conversations that we were having, uh, we were asking them questions. And then it lead into those, hey, do you want to be part of our podcast? And so, like I said in the beginning, we have a long, uh, long list of uh, future women and men to interview uh, and have them share their studies, share their experiences, what they're doing on the landscape. So then it, um, you know, continues to provoke those conversations and, and to, to march forward as we are. That's a good reminder too, listeners. Like every time we go to these conferences or get together, talk to anyone new, we're on the hunt for information that we think you would enjoy and benefit from on this podcast. So 
if anything jumps out at you, it's like, hey, you guys interviewed a student on the last one. And I really like that. I'd love to see more of that perspective. Or if you want to hear more from some of our partner groups, whatever it is, be sure to let us know. Because we, like I said, we're always on the hunt for more folks to feature, um, both to highlight the important work they're doing and then also bring that to you as well. And uh, make sure that we share that with our growing She Goes Outdoors family. So, Julia, I have to ask, what's on your landscape? What's coming up? What's new in, in Nebraska? We are getting ready for the annual outdoor discovery plate is full, but that's all right. It makes the days go fast. What about you, Rachel? What do you got coming on? Oh, I seen you. No, I just seen that Iowa had their winter BOW. Tell us about it. Yeah, we just got back from Harrison County. So we partnered with Harrison County Conservation Board and had a winter bow. Now, Mother Nature, she is a sly one and always wins. It doesn't matter what day we pick, she controls it. So we had a winter bow scheduled. We were going to do such things as snowshoeing, ice fishing, cross-country skiing, all these things that require cold weather, snow, and ice. And Mother Nature said, hey, it's going to be 40. Who knew, right? Who knew? And Who knew? That happens in Nebraska a lot. Like I, we would plan those the snowshoe event, the cross-country skiing events and then what has happens 40 degrees and it melts right Mm -hmm. yeah so needless to say we did not get on the ice a reminder a reminder this is the most critical time please don't get on the ice unless you're absolutely sure that there is good ice if you don't know what that is find somebody that can help you learn I cannot stress it enough. We have pockets because of this cold weather. We've had rain. We've had mushy snow. We have pockets that have two inches of ice next to 14 inches of ice. Wow, It's so inconsistent right now. It's such a weird thing. And I was actually talking to our urban fisheries biologist here in, in Iowa, and he was saying that statistically our ice and we don't make any more ice after February 1. So whatever we have on the ground is there. Wow. And then we just play the weighted out game to see how long it stays on. It's going to be 60 here in Iowa today. Like, we don't have the weather anymore to keep that ice. So just be so careful. Uh, I'll get off my soapbox. Back to winter bow. We had an amazing time. So we did get to, to cross-country ski, which is wonderful. We found some snow that they could do that. Did archery and atlatls and learned how to winter camp and, and just do other activities outside in this kind of weird 30 to 50 temp range where it's still getting cold at night, but it is warming up during the day. So they had an amazing time, great food experience getting to be around other ladies joining learning and and all in that same space so that was the most important and i'm excited we have we have spring bow signups coming up on the 7th at 9 a.m so dun, 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 that's right around the corner so excited for that um we have some amazing courses that we're being able to offer and just a mentored turkey hunt just all sorts of different activities just to get involved in and some new ones. I'm so excited. We're partnering with Mid Prairie Mushroom Club. I think that's what it is. But we're going to be doing a mushroom foray 
and something we've never been able to offer before. So just excited to to get some new uh, partners on board and, and to offer some new courses. So that's our big push right now is, is just spring bows around the corner and just finished up winter bow. But we have some other cool opportunities coming up, some wellness type programming and just different different bows that we haven't offered before. So looking to see what the reception is and, and where we go in the future. So Tana, what's going on in Kansas? Yeah, Rach, we're kind of in the same boat. It has been busy, busy. You know, we're in the heart of conference season, but our spring bow registration has officially opened and we were shocked and amazed at how quickly that event filled up. We do still have a couple spots left, I think five spots. So if you have registered and filled out that survey monkey, but you haven't called in and paid yet, remember your spot is not reserved until you provide payment. So get in there. And um, if you want more information, there are still spots available. Like I said, you can register at ksoutdoors.com backslash bow. Do it quickly because those spots are filling up. We will keep a wait list as well. And then our dates for fall bow, if you want to go ahead and put it on your calendar, are September 27th through the 29th. Things are trucking along. We're very excited. Our network of female instructors, um, of excited participants just continues to grow. And it's always so fun to see members of the She Goes Outdoors family show up and say, hey, I recognize your voice from the podcast. And, uh, you know, just say that they learned about the bow program through She Goes Outdoors. So we love that. And thanks for thanks for letting us know that you came through that pathway. It, it really helps us kind of understand that the reach our podcast has makes us feel good too, knowing that you're continuing in the outdoors and getting connected to groups like what, what's offered through Bo. That's really the big thing here. Oh, I have to give a quick shout out. We're going to do this in an episode of the podcast. I just need to get my rear in gear, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but we did a women's mentor deer hunt. And I think I mentioned it on a previous episode of the podcast that that was a mini bow or a mini becoming an outdoors woman event. All of those women that went on that hunt, it was five of them. They all tagged out and got deer, took that deer, processed it, packaged it up, put it in the freezer. It was a wonderful, successful hunt. So big shout out to all you ladies. You know who you are. Thank you for participating in that event, for trusting us. And of course, to our uh, public lands managers and other staff who made that event possible. It was such an awesome thing to see. So congrats to you all. And if you're interested in getting out on an activity like that, um, if you want to get connected to a group that could help you get started, reach out to us at the She Goes Outdoors team. You can get us on Facebook. You can send us an email and uh, we would be happy to connect you with those resources in your state. So another one of the benefits of these big regional meetings is we probably know the person you need to connect with. Even if you're not a Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa girl, we can get you in touch with the right people in your state. So let us know. Here in Nebraska, we just got, uh, we just had a BOW, a Beyond BOW goose hunt. They've seen a lot of birds, like everything from swan to other migrated birds. And it's just, it was so cool to hear about the landscape that they were on. Unfortunately, the waterfowl that they permitted to harvest or hunt, they weren't there. But they seen a lot more, and that's part of the experience. That's part of hunting. All right, Tana, you want to wrap it up? Absolutely. Well, ladies, it was wonderful to see you in person. I look forward to the next time we'll all be together soon. You know, we've always joked about getting together for a She Goes Outdoors gathering to talk shop and also just relax and enjoy. But I know we've all got busy schedules. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If anything about this conversation stood out to you and you want more information, be sure to reach out and let us know. That is what we're here for. We're here to support you. And uh, if you've got any ideas for speakers or topics you'd like to cover, be sure to give us a shout. If you don't already follow our Facebook page at She Goes 
goes outdoors and keep us up to date on all your outdoor activities. We hope that you'll share pictures of you from our BOW or BOW event. Um, We would love to see you there and we just want that to be an awesome community for everyone. We uh, did manage to get a selfie of all three of us together. It always takes a million trials (laughs) and and nothing like those spaghetti colored walls and bad lighting in a hotel. So (laughs) we'll get that selfie shared with you guys. I know Julia's already shared one of them. So thank you guys for all the support. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you outdoors.